Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please be seated. To whom do you belong? We live in a cultural moment where there are many forces trying to separate us out by various allegiances. Which cultural tribe are you part of? Which political tribe, which influencers do you follow, which institutions do you align yourself with? Think about how much on TV and social media is, I belong to Trump, I belong to Biden, I belong to this party, I belong to that faction. We're expected to demonstrate all kinds of signals and messages that declare our fidelity to our group. And woe to anyone who betrays those allegiances. Well, if you're like me, something sits wrong a little bit about this, right? Our second lesson today from Paul's first letter to the Christians in Corinth is uh, a powerful text for us to spend some time in as we think about how to navigate the very polarized culture that we live in in America today. So Corinth was a little bit like Atlanta in the sense that it was a very diverse and cosmopolitan and sort of thriving city. And the first Christian community there incorporated a lot of social and cultural and economic diversity into the mix of who was part of that community. But then these differences became a source of trouble, as we read about in today's uh, text. So if you thought that church conflict was a modern thing. It's about as biblical as it gets, right? Paul had helped start this church in Corinth, but then word gets back to him. So he starts churches and he moves on, like that's what he was doing all through this time. So he, he'd moved on, but he hears, hears word from Chloe's people, whoever those were, about some divisions going along. People saying, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas, you know, all these various leaders in this early Christian movement. And Paul writes this letter with a little bit of frustration, we might say, a little bit of vehemence um, that comes through because they are missing something really basic about what it means to be a Christian community. The Corinthians are making a mistake that we sometimes make as well, that is, identifying overly with human leaders. You can see this in the church throughout the ages and even sometimes today, whether it be, you know, celebrity preachers of various sorts or, or even in a kind of Episcopal church version of this, our favorite rector, I belong to Simon, I belong to Jeffrey, you know, those kinds of things, right? And it's understandable, but also problematic, right? Because human leaders are imperfect, and the point isn't to align ourselves primarily around a human leader, but around the one that Paul points us to in this text, the one who humbled himself and suffered for us, Jesus, in whom we have the opportunity to discover unity across those differences. So see, in Paul's day, the Roman Empire had kind of a a cult of personality around the emperor. Caesar was elevated to be like a god in status, and no matter what your religion was in the Roman Empire, you were just fine as long as you 
paid allegiance to Caesar ultimately. As, as long as Caesar was your ultimate god and the empire was your ultimate force as well. But we do kind of versions of this in our culture, right? Don't we elevate, you know, celebrities, political figures, sports stars, you know, up to be kind of ultimate? We look for transcendence from them, and then we're disappointed when they inevitably fall or turn out to just be human. If I asked you again, to whom do you belong, you might answer that question by talking about maybe family members to whom you feel like you belong. And these are perhaps, we might say, more fruitful allegiances that we have. But aren't we liable for disappointment there sometimes too? Perhaps you've had members of your family reject you. Perhaps they've disappointed you deeply. Or perhaps you them. Perhaps you struggle to belong there. Paul's point in this text is that these relationships are penultimate, not ultimate. In Christ, there is a more basic identity that actually unites us, that brings us together across whatever our social or cultural or economic or any other identity markers that we have. And that identity isn't our own choosing. It is us being chosen by God. It isn't up to us in that sense. It's actually God's action. And so baptism, which Paul talks about in this text, is a symbol of a rebirth, a reordering, if you will, of allegiances into a new community, a new family, if you will, where culture, social location, economic status, like all of those things need keep us apart. Now, again, let me be clear. It's not that those creaturely identities go away and we're all just the same. (laughs) No, we're different, but we no longer need to be divided. And that is the heart of the gospel that Paul is pointing to in this text when he talks about the message of the cross. What does he mean by this, the message of the cross, right? And if we recall in in Jesus' context, the cross was how that empire, the Roman Empire, dealt with rebellious slaves and traitors. It was a very shameful symbol. It wasn't the, the beautiful, you know, thing that we have in our churches today. It was a symbol of, of everything, everyone that was outcast and, you know, um, and, and, and put apart and, um, and shamed and rejected. Paul says, I didn't come in words of eloquent wisdom. We Episcopalians kind of like our eloquent wisdom, don't we? He says, I came preaching this message that was, seems like foolishness to the world, right? It seems scandalous to people. And yet, it is powerful. It is the most powerful thing for those of us who are being saved. What does he mean by this? Well, in Corinth, they were kind of into eloquent words of wisdom as well. At least some of them were. And what was happening in that community was that, you know, people were being separated by social differences. So rich and poor weren't sharing meals together. And those with more education were asserting privileges and things like that. And, and then they were beginning to devolve into these factions that were grumbling against each other and, you know, so forth and so on. But the message of the cross cuts through this, right? The cross is God's ultimate act of identifying with us in the worst that human life can bring, the worst circumstances 
of injustice, of suffering, of shame. God comes to us in Christ in humility and weakness, not lording over like Caesar, not seeking celebrity, but giving himself sacrificially so that we might live, so that we might be joined into a new community, and that that community might join into God's work of reconciling and healing and renewing the world. Again, because it's not up to how smart we are, how eloquent we are, how well-educated we are, how perfect we are in our moral behavior, all of those things. It's about God having chosen us as we are and then drawing us together into a community. You have been claimed by God as God's own, unconditionally, and joined into a new family, into a new community where all of those divisions that we see in society need not keep us apart. So over the centuries, the church has made the mistake of Corinth, you know, dividing ourselves as church, right, by various status marks of identity, culture, class, personality, all of those things. But as Paul goes on to say elsewhere in the New Testament, there is in Christ neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Those differences of identity don't ultimately Matter. They don't go away necessarily, but they don't ultimately matter. So in our gospel reading, Jesus comes along and sees these fishermen, whom he probably knew already before he called them, I'm assuming. Simon, and Andrew, and James, and John, and invites them to follow him, to become part of a new community. And that, that call meant not just walking away from fishing, was their livelihood, their family business, but also from everything that was expected of them in that family, in that system. Think about, you know, James and John, their father is part of that fishing business as well, and here they go, joining this new community. Sometimes following Jesus means walking away from some things to be reoriented into a new way of life. Sometimes following Jesus means staying in our vocations, but with a new spirit, a new way of being there, of loving and serving others. So much in our world today wants to keep us apart, and there's clearly a very lucrative business model around keeping us hating each other and fighting and polarized and all of that. But as followers of Jesus, we have been freed, we have been united into a new community by that cross of Christ. And that, to me, is grounds for hope. Because we can be part of modeling and embodying a way of life where those differences need not divide us. Following Jesus means that we belong to one another because we belong to Christ. And because we belong to one another, we get to bear with one another in love. We get to love as we have been loved in Christ, unconditionally. And we are freed to love our neighbors, no matter who they might be. May God's Spirit draw us together 
free us and send us out to be ambassadors and witnesses of that love. Amen.